Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemong podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. In today's episode, Christian Shabanon and Anna Sarita discuss the challenges faced by the EBMT during the COVID-19 pandemic. They then move on to the role of stem cell transplantation in the context of CAR-T therapy and finish by outlining the future projects of the EBMT. Good morning to all of you. Uh, thank you for um, having uh, Professor Anna Sreda and myself uh, for this uh, interview a few days after the end of the 48th uh, EBMT uh, annual meeting. My name is uh, Christian Chabanon. I'm a hematologist uh, usually working in Marseille in southeastern France. I used to be the um, one of the EBMT uh, working party chairs, the cellular therapy and immunobiology working party chair. Uh, there is a new chair uh, who was elected last week, uh, Dr. Annalisa Ruggieri. Our goal today, together with uh, Professor Sureda, is to discuss the extraordinary period of time EBMT went through over the last four years. Um, and Professor Suruda would, uh, will uh, tell you a bit more about uh, her project as uh, EBMT uh, new uh, president. Um, maybe we can, we can start, Anna, discussing um, the external constraints, somewhat extraordinary external constraints that EBMT faced over the last, um, over the last four years. So thank you very much, Christian, for the introduction, and thank you very much for the for the invitation. I think that the last four years have been really exceptional um, uh, from an EBMT point of view, and EBMT has been suffering um, basically over the last two years or two years and a half, uh, together with the rest of the world, basically because of some external problems. And I would say that COVID-19 pandemics, uh, which is um, probably some of the issues that we are going to discuss later on, uh, has had a significant impact on, on EBMT. As you have said, uh, it's a little bit less than one week that we finished our last annual meeting. Unfortunately, it has been uh, the third virtual meeting on a row, um, basically because of COVID-19. And unfortunately, in this uh, specific edition, this last edition, also because of the uh, of the war uh, between uh, Russia and Ukraine, and basically uh, because of the amount of uh, refugees uh, that were arriving to the Czech Republic. Uh, so. Um, I would say that the daily life of EBMD has significantly changed over the last two years uh, because of COVID-19 pandemic. The annual meeting is a good example of that. As I have said, three um, meetings in a row being virtual and the last one had to be changed almost in the very last minute from a hybrid version, which was a kind of new version that EBMD tried to implement. Uh, because of COVID-19 pandemic to the uh, to the virtual one. So a lot of changes for EBMT. Yes, thank you. And I think it's important to stress that the uh, EBMT staff in particular was uh, extremely uh, efficient in converting a uh, uh, hybrid model into a fully virtual 
model in only a few days because uh, I think the final decision was uh, made approximately 10 days before the opening of the, of the session. And uh, everything went uh, uh, rather smoothly uh, if we consider the very short uh, time that the staff had to uh, prepare for this, uh, for this uh, new format. Um, so I think it affected not only the, um, the of course, the, the meetings, the annual meetings, and many of the small to intermediate size um, educational events that uh, EBMT runs every year for the benefit of junior and senior investigators were also very significantly disturbed. Some of those events were cancelled. Uh, some of those events were in a fully uh, virtual mode. Very few actually included face-to-face -face, uh, uh, meetings. Um, but that also obviously affected the very practice of uh, hematopoietic cell transplant and, and cellular uh, therapies. And because this is sort of a very special medical practice where we face on a daily basis patients who are affected with uh, very high-risk diseases or advanced diseases, and we use uh, treatments that are entailed with very significant toxicities. I would like to hear of your opinion on how the basic training of transplant physicians prepare them to handle crises such as the ones that you described. Um, so as, as you have said, Christian, um, so uh, let's say our business um, from a clinical point of view in EBMT was significantly affected by, uh, by COVID-19 and EBMT had to make also an extraordinary effort on that uh, from a clinical point of view, um, uh, transplantation being um, a highly specialized uh, treatment strategy was very much affected by COVID starting with eventually the indications of, um, of of stem cell transplantation or some modifications in the indications of a stem cell transplant, how to handle patients that were candidates for stem cell transplantation that were COVID-19 positive, how to deal with donors, all the uh, problems related to the unrelated donor uh, stem cell transplantation across barriers. Um, and of course, if we talk specifically about training, all the usual resources that we were using uh, for training were also uh, significantly disrupted. So uh, movement of uh, trainees across borders was really very complicated. In fact, uh, I remember of some cases of people that tried to join or to go to another country to be trained that had to go back basically because of COVID-19. All the educational activities that EBMT has been developing for uh, trainees and for young physicians had to be also significantly modified. Um, let's say in a way that you have already mentioned regarding all the different uh, educational events that EBMT uh, is conducting over the over the year. Uh, we implemented uh, an e-learning platform uh, that um, 
uh, I, th I think that probably we will be able to work on that uh, more in the in the future, and this is one of the objectives for the next year to try to keep the continuous education uh, process for young trainees and, of course, for other uh, professionals that are in it, uh, in in training. So um, I guess that trainees also suffered quite a lot from all the changes that were uh, related to COVID-19 pandemic. I think that EBMT tried to overcome uh, all these problems. And in fact, I have to say that we have seen uh, the uh, the trainee uh, committee really flourishing in, in the last few years. So a little bit coincident uh, with COVID-19 pand pandemics. And I think that this is a a demonstration that even with all these challenges that we are facing, we can still continue to deliver adequate uh, continuous education to the uh, to the young physicians and uh, to promote uh, this uh, group of uh, really interested uh, trainees in developing education for themselves. Yes, thank you. I think you point out to actually some sort of benefits. Uh, that were derived from dealing with this uh, crisis and the, 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 the pandemic, uh, if we look back, uh, actually um, accelerated the transition to uh, a digitalization of uh, many educational supports and many educational events. And you were mentioning uh, trainees, I think for them, it's probably much cheaper and, 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 and easier to access online events than it is to, to access uh, uh, traditional events. So we are all joking on, you know, back to normal conditions uh, every time we uh, start or we conclude a, uh, a teleconference. Uh, we say that we would like to see each other and share a coffee or, or, or a beer for the most adventurous of us. Um, but I personally believe we won't get back absolutely to what we call normal in the past. By the way, I've, I've never understood exactly what is normal, but I think there will be a new normal uh, in the future and we won't get back to uh, the formats that we used to know uh, four years ago. Uh, I'd like to hear of your opinion on this aspect. I fully agree, Christian. So uh, normal is a very wide uh, word. And I think that everybody applies normality to his or her, or her own life. And we are talking about this new uh, normality, which it does not seem that we have reached uh, this point uh, still right now. But I agree with you, first of all, that probably um, COVID-19 has um, has um, allowed us uh, to better understand uh, all these digital platforms, has demonstrated that even continuous education and meetings can be done uh, through these platforms. It's less time consuming, um, it's cheaper, uh, which is another important thing to take into consideration. It reaches more people uh, because people can be connected from work, from home. So there are less borders and less frontiers. It's more compatible in many occasions with family life and personal life. Uh, so I don't think that we will never go back to our normality before COVID-19 and that we will be taking advantage 
of what we have learned over these last two years and probably use it for the best of our purposes. So I, I fully agree. And of course, if you if we are talking about uh, young people and trainees, uh, so education can be in many ways perfectly being given in a virtual format, although I still would like to see all of us face to face with a beer, a glass of wine or a coffee, and hopefully we will be able to do it. But we cannot forget what we have learned. And I think that we have been able to go perfectly through uh, this um, period of time, which has been really challenging, but learning things that maybe, uh, I mean, we would have learned in some years' time if COVID-19 would have not been present in our lives. Um, definitely, whenever the opportunity arises, we will share coffee or whatever drink. Um, so we talked a lot about education, and I think that uh, EBMT really fulfills uh, its uh, members' expectations. But um, at the same time, uh, we had to run uh, usual business. And uh, the period with the pandemic also led us to realize even further how dependent uh, is transplant activity on international exchanges, uh, the high proportion of uh, allogenic transplants that are um, performed from unrelated donors. And we face really weird situations, especially during the first lockdown, um, when trying to transfer uh, unrelated crafts from one country to another or from one continent to another. In that view, uh, EBMT very uh, rapidly established a COVID-19 task force that is led by uh, Rafael de la Camara, uh, a Spanish physician who is also the chair of the Infectious Disease Working Party, and with Per Lundman, uh, a Swedish physician who is a long-standing member and active member of, of EBMT. And um, the COVID-19 task force has established uh, uh, um, guidelines that are updated on a regular basis and that provide physicians, transplant physicians with guidance on many aspects of the transplant process, how to protect donors, how to protect recipients, how to best handle the graft after, during, and, and following transportation. Would you like to make a few comments on the COVID-19 task force, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that EBMT, as you have said, stepped down, really step in, sorry, very quickly uh, in, uh, I mean, in COVID-19 pandemics and try as the European uh, Transplant Society uh, to bring information uh, in a rapidly changing field where unfortunately uh, the level of evidence was at some point uh, not uh, so clear for all of us in all the different aspects of stem cell, tra of stem cell transplantation. Uh, EBMT developed the task force. As you have said, it was led by Rafa de la Camara and by Per Luchman. Uh, there was a specific um, 
uh, money and specific economical resources that were uh, dedicated to this task force that basically had uh, an enormous uh, work to be done in establishing guidelines in all the different aspects of stem cell transplantation. And probably we didn't know before uh, COVID-19 came in our lives how vulnerable was all the transplant procedure in this era of these uh, of, of these viral pandemics. So I think that we were le learning at the same time that things were happening, but uh, the task force was quick enough to give these guidelines, uh, was able to update them on a regularly on a regular basis, which is uh, really absolutely import, uh, important. Um, and uh, was able, and it's still, uh, this is uh, an ongoing process and work in progress, uh, able to produce scientific information that has already been presented in several meetings, that has already been published regarding the outcome of stem cell transplantations that were infected by COVID-19, looking at prognostic factors, and then, of course, trying to learn more for the future. Uh, the task force of course, it's still ongoing. There are new projects coming in because, of course, COVID-19 pandemics is an evolving field and uh, the task force will continue to work on that for basically for the service of uh, the scientific community, but basically for, for our patients. Yes, thank you. And I, I think it's absolutely critical that the task force continues its missions because it's very important to stress that the pandemic is not over. We would all like to read and hear that the pandemic is over, but this is not the case. In many countries, the numbers of uh, people who are infected uh, go up again and uh, external circumstances such as the war in Ukraine may actually contribute to speed up the, the spread of the virus. We've heard of the situation in China. So as you said, um, we need to protect our patients. Uh, the supply chain uh, can be uh, uh, completely uh, disturbed, uh, especially when it involves uh, shipping graphs of uh, very long uh, distances and we now know that a uh, high proportion of patients that we care for uh, are actually uh, very fragile when it comes to get infected with covid so the covid19 task force uh, together with other uh, professional associations and healthcare authorities has produced uh, recommendations on how to vaccinate recipients and donors, how to protect them using the available uh, medications, drugs, antibodies that could help in the early phase or late phase of the disease to, to protect those patients. And uh, probably most importantly, social distancing remains uh, very important rules for donors and recipients uh, whenever they get close to the uh, transplant uh, procedure. Um, moving to another topic, um, we also had to face during this extraordinary uh, period some uh, very important transition uh, in our field. Of course, EBMT is a society that was created to um, look at the outcome of transplanted patients survey changes in medical practices 
But for four years now, the field uh, faces a major transition with the introduction and the market of industry manufactured um, uh, gene therapies and cellular therapies. The most publicized of them are CAR T cells. And EBMT has strongly committed uh, a fraction of its resources to be a major player in the field for, for a number of reasons. Uh, some of the indications for this different class of therapeutics overlap, the toxicity profiles between CAR T cells and uh, allergenic transplantations is largely similar. Uh, so there was a, a huge effort on the EBMT side to set up a continental registry to register patients contribute to their long-term follow-up over uh, 15 years or longer. And we had to do that at the very moment we were facing the consequences of the, of the pandemic and everything we have already um, described. So I'd like to, to have your, uh, your comments and opinion on this, on this topic and how you see the development in the future for these matters. So as, as you have said, this has been another major aspect that EVMT has to be uh, has had to take into consideration over the last few years coincident with COVID-19 pandemic. So we have had stem cell transplant as um, the only, let's put it this way, uh, uh, similar therapy strategy for many, many years. And uh, nowadays we are seeing uh, more and more additional cellular therapy strategies which are uh, which have already come into the field and 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 they really open uh, new avenues for the treatment of the patients and for the long-term outcome of the patients. And these are CAR T cells. So I think that EVMT, um, and uh, I think that Christian, you have been a major player in this specific area, uh, has also undertaken this commitment with big strength and from the very beginning. Uh, from a registry point of view, the implementation of the CAR T cell uh, uh, treated patients uh, registry, um, let's say in a similar way uh, that the EBMT has been holding uh, the uh, registry for stem cell transplantation patients with more than 700,000 uh, patients being transplanted and reported to the, uh, to the registry. Um, in, in addition to that, um, pharma uh, companies or uh, pharmaceutical industry have come really uh, into this field. We cannot forget uh, that um, stem cell transplantation as a treatment procedure itself uh, has never been a major scope um, by pharmaceutical companies, which, and the, but the situation of CAR T cells has been completely different. So with the, uh, with the EVMT efforts together with EHA and the GoCard coalition that tries to bring together all the different partners uh, in Europe that are involved with um, CAR T cell therapy, um, I mean, has was developed uh, some years ago. EBMT has been uh, the major partner here, together with the collaboration of EHA. And here we have, uh, of course, the um, uh, the rest of the players. We have pharmaceutical companies. We have patients and patients advocates. Uh, uh, we have HTA bodies. So. Um, every single partner 
that um, contributes to CAR T sulfur being Eurobits included here. Uh, the GOCAR coalition has uh, several working uh, committees that are basically dedicated to uh, accreditation uh, to patients, uh, scientific um, development of, of projects. And this is one thing that EBMT started and uh, we should continue working on that because of course um, this story has just um, started right now. So and the future is uh, the future is really open, is bright with many new products and and many new advances to uh, to come. So I think that EBMT will continue working on that um, as a European uh, transplant and several therapy society. We have to play a major role once again. Uh, let's say from a scientific point of view. Uh, with the objective to improve our patient's care from um, a, a quality and accreditation point of view, uh, patient, uh, patient and advocacy groups. Um, so that will be one of the major um, aspects uh, for EBMD in the next, in the next years. Yes, abso absolutely. And um, uh, things are going very fast, as you, uh, as you mentioned, since, uh, since in, in the introduction and the approval of the first two CAR two cell CAR T cells in Europe, that was in uh, August of 2018, so less than four years ago, we now have data that suggest uh, potential efficacy in second line, and we've also heard of uh, results of clinical research describing the use of CAR T cells in first line for patients with lymphoma. So this is not approved yet, and we obviously uh, cannot recommend any use of CAR T cells uh, before the third line. But we are seeing that uh, clinical evidences are produced at a very fast pace with uh, potential consequences in day-to-day in, in -day medical practices over the next uh, few years. The many technological developments that were highlighted both, both at the annual meeting and the European CAR T cells meeting that took place uh, two months uh, ago. Uh, and maybe I would like to stress in particular in light of the Jan van Roode Award that uh, uh, again, hematopoietic stem cell transplant is not dead. This is still a very active field where people are exploring ways of improving the outcome of patients receiving allogenic cell transplantation. And in particular, and that was the topic of the Jan van Roode Award, in particular, trying to dissect the different immune cell subsets that are responsible for the, the positive effects of uh, allogenic transplants, the anti-tumor effect, versus the uh, negative effects, uh, the GVHD uh, complications. Uh, so that would be my word. CAR T cell field is moving very fast, both technically and in terms of applications. But hematopoietic cell transplants is still a very living field uh, with uh, many patients who still benefit from receiving either autologous or allogenic transplantation. And our understanding of the uh, transplant complications and outcome remain uh, partial and are still the topic of very active investigations. I think that it's not 
um, let's say it's not uh, a question of having uh, cell therapy fighting against transplantation or the or the other way around. I think it's clear that uh, the introduction of CAR-T is going to modify how we are using stem cell transplantation, at least in some patients, and probably the best example uh, might be lymphoma in the future, although we are already uh, seeing some changes in the number of patients that are being treated with anogenic stem cell transplantation. Probably in the next few years, we will be seeing more and more how CAR T are being positioned in other diseases apart from lymphoma, and we already have information also on ALL, basically in the children and in the young adult setting. Um, on the other side, um, I think, and we have seen that also in the meeting, uh, that uh, we can still implement the results of allogeneic stem cell transplantation. Uh, um, basically trying to decrease a relapse rate after allotransplant. And I mean, we have been working for many years in MRD strategies after allogeneic stem cell transplantation, maintenance treatment strategies and how to select or to, um, to select, not to select the patient, but put uh, the patient in the best condition possible for the uh, stem cell transplantation. And one very important thing in which Christian has already mentioned some examples, but the transplant community is working, is in trying to decrease as much as possible toxicity of allogeneic stem cell transplant. So allotransplant is um, the only curative strategies in many settings, but of course, these curative um, uh, this uh, um, curative objective is in um, some cases offset uh, by high transplant-related mortality. And to better understand how to reduce transplant-related mortality and to dissect the cellular subset of, uh, uh, of lymphocytes that are um, associated to toxicity or eventually to the beneficial effect of allogeneic stem cell transplantation is of importance. I think, I mean, if I can have a look into the future, that the major efforts in terms of stem cell transplantation would be to um, uh, to, uh, to decrease relapse rate and to continue uh, decreasing also transplant-related mortality. Maybe we will conclude this, uh, this uh, discussion. Uh, I will use what you mentioned regarding the uh, patient uh, advocates and the patient's committee that was uh, recently created at um, EBMT that was originally led by uh, Bregi Verhoeven uh, from the Netherlands and uh, um, the new uh, committee chair is Natasha Bolaños, uh, who is a, a Spanish uh, patient and patient uh, representative. Um, I think EBMT is very much committed to um, listening to uh, patients, to taking their opinions uh, into account. And what patients tell us is that uh, this is not only the amount of life that is important. This is the way you can live all these years that you um, get through the administration of treatments. And they are also um, um, interested in other aspects such as confidentiality. Um, and from this viewpoint, when we established a registry, we also had to deal with the implementation of the global data protection regulation in Europe. 
We also had to face some technical issues with uh, with the registry moving uh, a registry that contains data on more than seven hundred thousand transplants and now more than three thousand uh, patients treated with CAR T cells. By no way an easy task. Uh, can you tell us a little bit on these uh, different aspects? Sure. Uh, I think that you have mentioned a really very uh, very important point. Um, so with uh, respect, uh, let's say, I think that there are different tasks that EBMT has already started to undertake, but uh, that will need to be uh, uh, better refined in the future. Mm, uh, the establishment of GDPR was really a big challenge for all of us being um, a European organization and of course having first of all um, all of us we needed to understand exactly what did mean did mean because it took us at least it took for me a little bit of time to basically understand which were the consequences of that uh, this uh, had to be implemented in all the different uh, pr uh, processes of EBMT and the relationship of EBMT with the different centers and this has represented a big task um, that that has also been done in difficult times. I mean, just going back to uh, to COVID nineteen pandemic, and of course, uh, let's say the other aspect, which is very important to mention, is uh, is the registry. So uh, EBMT started the registry in 1974, uh, if, I am, um, if I am correct. And we have now, as you have mentioned, uh, a huge number of patients being transplanted and being treated with CAR-T. Uh, EBMT has been working uh, for quite a few years right now in, implement in implementing First of all, the platform where all these clinical data of the patients are included. And secondly, to, type, uh, to try to upgrade uh, the way that these data are being collected, these data are being reported by the centers to make it as easy to use by both sides. This is a task that it's a uh, work in progress and that will be a major issue for EBMT in the, in the near future. And talking about uh, patients and registry, another project uh, with, which hopefully we will be able to, uh, to start in the future is uh, trying to include patient reported outcomes in, in the registry. This is, um, um, uh, this is a task or uh, this is a project that has already been implemented by other, um, by, by other registries. Um, and this is kind of pending issue from our side. Uh, probably not uh, so easy to do, but uh, this is one thing in which we will be uh, working. And I'm sure that we will have a lot of feedback from our patient and patient advocate group, which was created several years ago. As you have said, we have a new chair, but that will be having more and more impact in the EBMT daily life. Well, Anna, Professor Sereda, I think uh, I would like to thank you for taking the time to uh, contribute to this uh, discussion and overview of EBMT activities, especially uh, during, again, this extra uh, period. I think what we, if, if we summarize uh, our discussion this morning, uh, it's important to uh, stress how strong is EBMT as a professional association, how adaptive has been our community 
to deal with uh, internal and external constraints, including regulatory constraints that you mentioned, uh, as well as technicalities uh, such as the uh, changes in the uh, IT systems that support the registry and external constraints, including obviously uh, the uh, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemics, and more recently the war in Ukraine. I think it is important to stress that EBMT has already uh, secured some resource to help uh, Ukrainian physicians and to help uh, Ukrainian patients whenever we can, uh, probably playing a, a role as a broker between uh, Ukrainian hospitals and, and other European hospitals that could be in a position to uh, take over and, and treat Ukrainian patients whenever uh, this is uh, necessary. Uh, to conclude, I would like to thank you again and to uh, wish you uh, good luck for the next four years when you will be the EBMT uh, president. And we all hope that uh, you and, and, and the team, uh, EBMT employees and EBMT members will maintain the society at the forefront of the development of cellular therapies, including cell transplants that has not disappeared, as well as CAR T cells, other immune effector cells uh, in, in Europe. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHimonk and subscribe to our podcasts on your favorite podcast app, including Apple, Podbean, and Spotify. Until next time, 